This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast for the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host, Joe Rimmer. I'm joined here in the office by the Latin flavours of Tom Cavilla. How are we, Tom? I'm good, thanks, yeah. You can say hello in Spanish to all our Spanish listeners, or Latin American <laughs> listeners. Hola, todos. Yeah, he's, Tom's going to um, go on a little bit of an adventure only to Latin America later this year, so mm-hmm. can maybe um, meet the listeners in person. Try and find the next Alexis McAllister in yeah. South America, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Give him, give him a shout on the Blood Red Pod. <laughs> yeah, every answer from now on, Tom, I want you to answer in Spanish, okay? Um, I've been doing sure. Spanish lessons, it's time to put me to the test. I'm not sure I'll be able to answer everything, to be honest. Oh, well, we'll leave that there, but we'll move on to saying hello to Sean Bradbury, who isn't Paul Ghost. Um, you've come in late sub today, Sean, um, and you're there, you've got your air traffic controller headset on. Remote. <laughs> um, you're on mute still. Now you're off mute. Are you going to say hello? Yeah, I'll say hello. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, speaking? I'm doing a bit of live plane tracking still. Yeah. Any any flights coming over from Nice or Wolfsburg <laughs> or, or Southampton? I'm, I'm tracking yeah, Southampton. Yeah. yeah, not very eco-friendly. Get the train. Get the train, Romeo. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been quite a week. Um, quite a week for all of us, really. I, I had, was um, tested positive for man flu towards the back end of last week, so um, was in a bit of a bit of a coma for uh, two days there. Whilst um, Liverpool moved quickly to sign, and this is the moment of truth, Dominic Sabosley. Um, I think I got that right. I think I got that yeah. right the first time. You know, you get old, don't you? When um, you struggle to, to pronounce players' names. My dad will never be able to say this fella's name, ever. <laughs> like, he struggles with... He still struggles with Firmino, who he calls Firmino. Uh, <laughs> so, I think Sylvester is going to be quite difficult for him. But, yeah, Liverpool moved quickly, got it wrapped up, um, triggered his release calls on Friday, um, and brought him in Sunday, got it all signed, sealed, delivered. He was presented um, yesterday about 4 o'clock. Uh, Sean, we'll start with you. You were in Glastonbury at the start of last week, so uh, I'm sure you came home feeling feeling fragile. Um, hang on, start of last week. I'm I'm losing days. Are you? When, when did you come home from? You came home. Um, yeah, the last la- last so, Monday. So yeah, just just yeah, about now, it, starting to feel feel fresh again. To be honest, did, he, did he, the signing of Sabozlai did he wake you from your hangover? It did. Yeah, I was out having I was having a nice Greek meal on on Sabozlai yeah, Sunday. Um, yeah. So yeah, I kind of bored me me mum and me auntie with it. Some Sobos life facts and, and excitement yeah. while we were talking about what, what, what did your mum find most excited about Sobos life? Um, everything about him, the fact yeah. he gets a shot away. I think she was quite pleased with that. You know, she wants to see some more yeah. goals in midfield. Does uh, yeah. does my mum? That's uh, what she's been been crying out for for all this time. But no, yeah, mm. re- really good. I'm I'm delighted with this one. I think everything about the player in terms of what we have seen of him and, and heard of him on the pitch off the pitch as well and and just the timing of it was good wasn't it i think that's yeah, yeah. that's a big thing like just when the window felt like it was really kicking into gear and you've seen a lot of liverpool's rivals doing business you just thought let's get one more in before they go back to pre-season you know someone mm-hmm. to go alongside McAllister. you saw Klopp didn't you a few weeks back said he, he wants a couple of deals done by then you know appreciated that it's not always an ideal world mm-hmm. and you can't guarantee that but i think that's really good but no i'm i'm, I'm really pleased with this like claim to have seen too much of him but the main thing that I wanted in terms of a midfield signing was when you look at the back in the last season and how that new formation was looking was someone to step into that role that Henderson was trying his best in ultimately was toiling in a little bit you know you want someone there who's a genuine natural option between the lines is capable of hard work but also 
explosive forward play, you know, and, and this guy sounds like he's, he's a creator as well as a finisher. He can hold on to the ball. He could go outside the Salah and play on the wing as well. It sounds like he's, he's really thrived as a winger. So that's an interesting one as well. You look ahead to January and Salah going off to Africa Cup of Nations for a few games. Maybe he's a ready-made replacement to go out on the wing. But like I said before, like, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the playing side of things, but it's also the the kind of mental and, and leadership side of things that I'm quite excited about because, you know, he's obviously only a young lad, but to already captain his country, I think is a big thing. And Strikes me as a very confident lad, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You can tell that from his, his initial LFC yeah. interviews, just interviews whenever he's interviewed after after a game. You know, he's uh, yeah. he's short and sweet and to the point, but, but he obviously backs himself. But I, I always think back to that time under Rafa when virtually every player in the dressing room or certainly, you know, the, the main fellas were all like, they were all leaders, weren't they? They were all captains of their country, a lot of them. You know, you had like, even like the fringe players, like Sir Benny Hume, but obviously Gerard Carragher, the defenders, Aga Skirtle, Rainer, Mascherano, Alonso, you know, you, the list just keeps on going. So with with Milner and Firmino and, you know, a couple of senior men leaving, big presences in the dressing room, if Sawashlai can come in and provide a little bit of that straight away, I'd, I'd be delighted. But yeah, this is exactly what you wanted to see from Liverpool at exactly the right time. Yeah, someone on the YouTube comments last week said that we look like an interview panel. So, Sean, do you think you'll get the job? <laughs> I, I would like to think so. If you're interviewing yeah. for someone to land planes at John Lennon Airport, I would like to think <laughs> I'm, I'm a shoo yeah. yeah, you haven't got much experience, but you've got the look nailed down. Tom, in between lighting the candle for me last week, were you um, pretty impressed with the way Liverpool did their business? It was like quintessential Liverpool in the transfer market, wasn't it? Hadn't really heard of the link. Here are the link. A couple of rounds of talks triggering the release clause and then and then having it all wrapped up pretty quickly. Yeah, I think um, you know, there haven't seen many deals like that really in recent times where Liverpool have just got it done out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I only really, really seemed to be that Fabinho and, and Jota yeah, Jota yeah. one I think was similar as well. That kind of came out of nowhere a little bit and then was done pretty quickly. Well, to be fair, Alexis McAllister came yeah. pretty out of nowhere, didn't it? I mean maybe a little bit more build up than, than Sabosky, but in the way that they did it, it was fast. And it was efficient, and um, they got it over the line pretty quick. Yeah, and I think um, obviously that was important because you know it was being reported that Newcastle were also looking at him. So mm-hmm. you know the fact that Liverpool have signed signed him instead of Newcastle, who are in the Champions League. Liverpool obviously are going to be in the Europa League next year, and he's dropping down from being in the Champions League as well. So that obviously says a lot about you know how players still view Liverpool even after you know last season's bad year. Um, I think um, it's probably the right thing to do, to be honest, in terms of going for someone like him instead of Mason Mount. Both are going to be about the same price. I think um, Man United are paying 60 in the end for him. Mm-hmm. Double the wages of Solvesly. So Slightly older. I know it's only, only, um, a, only, years, a, little, only a couple of years, but, but still. I still think if you're going to go for one of those two, I would, probably would have gone for Solvesly over him. Um so, yeah, I think it's an exciting signing. Yeah, can you say all that again in Spanish? No. <laughs> well, I've got a hospital pass for one of you here, so I'm trying to decide which one to send it. I'll send it your way, Sean. Um, what does this say now about FSG? I mean, the start of last week, before this lad was really even linked, I mean, I, I can't remember. I did the, the pod last Monday. But I, but I do remember a lot of talk, a lot of frustration with FSG, a lot of frustration with Liverpool, who seemingly... We're doing a lot of monitoring, but not a lot of moving when it came to players. Um, obviously, we had their rivals, you know, Arsenal making a big move for um, Declan Rice, City going into the market, Man United cracking on with, with Mount. 
you could feel the fan base, the tension rising a little bit. Um, but I think what's interesting is that when you sign a player with a release clause like 60 million, I think they have to pay that pretty much up front, don't they? Um, which had seemed to be a sticking point late last week, but they got the deal done. So obviously they got the green light in terms of finances. So does this is this a bit of a show of strength from FSG, from, from the, the people at the club, a bit of a show of ambition, or is it just kind of what Liverpool need? I'll, I'll sit on the fence initially and say I think it's a bit of both, but, but um, I, I, I think this was always going to be quite a telling summer for FSG as owners, partly mm-hmm. because of the reasons you said there. You know, there's, there's a lot of clubs now with more money, with more resource. Obviously, you know, Newcastle, Chelsea's conditions have changed. They're, they're catching up with the likes of City and United, even in terms of spending power. You've got teams that fell out of the, the Champions League spots, including Liverpool, obviously. You've got... Um, you know, Chelsea were, were much, much further down the table than they would have expected to be. And you've got Newcastle and Arsenal, kind of new blood and new money in the Champions League. I, and add to that kind of two other factors, I'd say. One of which is all the rumours surrounding what Liverpool are going to do, what Liverpool's owners are going to do in terms of the club and its future. You know, is it going to be a sale? Is it going to be investment? That's what we now believe it's going to be. That's what John Henry told the Echo, told Dave Powell in his interview mm-hmm. that it's going to be. You know, they're looking for a strategic investment partner. So through all of that, you did want to see a commitment where it, it goes beyond infrastructure, which I think is is the area where you can never question them, can you? They've, they've made yeah. pretty much every single correct decision off the pitch. And it comes down to the on-the-pitch investment where the debate is. And the final thing I'll say is, is you go back to last summer where I certainly fell into the trap of thinking Liverpool would be okay after fighting on every single front and, you know, being a few kicks of a ball away from, from a quadruple and, you know, finishing with two domestic cups, but that feeling somehow a little bit of a, of a negative of a bit of a you know double consolation prize i even at the end of that summer when you know nunes had come through the door and there wasn't much beyond that there was carvalho wasn't there and you know a couple of other bits and bobs obviously arthur was was a panic buy we can we, we can all well panic loan we can all see that now but i, I think there was I, I will give the owners a slight pass there because i do think you know, i think back to some of klopp's interviews at the time and i think even he was pretty convinced that what he had at his disposal was still good enough for Liverpool to challenge and whilst there would be elements of transition with how Nunes fitted in and you know a, a different profile central attacker to what Firmino's been for so many years I, I think I think that all of that caught Klopp and his backroom staff and the entire club off guard a little bit you know you think back to the first game of last season Fulham the midfield was Thiago Fabinho and Henderson and I was thinking here we go you know we, we haven't seen this midfield a lot it's the three main men playing in a midfield three. Let's see what happens. And what happened was they got legged, didn't they? And, and <laughs> quickly last season, I think it just... Tactical, deep tactical analysis. Yeah, that, that's it. Just, yeah, just one word. You don't need heat maps when you've got heat. They no, got legged. no, just, just scouse terminology. That's that's all you need. But but I think I think now you can say belatedly and that's fine. And I think Jürgen Klopp would agree with that. You know, there was an interview a few weeks ago, you know, back end of the season where... He kind of copped for everything and said to Sky, it was one of those ones that comes out before a match. And he just said, so much has gone wrong this season and last summer. And, you know, it's on me. And I always wonder with, with the whole FSG and Minge Bags debate, how much of it is on the manager? You know, he, he, he's, a, he's a loyal man, isn't he? And yeah, yeah. often he thinks there are, there are players here who I, I want to see, you know, who've come through thick and thin with me and I want to see them give their best for as long as, you know, they are, they are willing and able. But I think there's a little bit, I'd almost use the word ruthless now in terms of what's happening this summer because if you think back to those three lads who got legged, I think you can argue that 
Henderson has been replaced in the long term with, with Soberschlei. I think you can argue Thiago has been replaced possibly even in the short term with, with McAllister, certainly in the long term. So you're looking maybe at, at one midfielder who comes in as a number six. And I know we're going to move on to discussions of potential targets there who replaces Fabinho in the long term. So I think whatever side of the FSG debate you're on, this summer was was overdue because of what happened last season. Um, but, you know, the, the manager and, and I think the owners to a certain extent, you know, the decision makers, if you like, they, they get a one season pass in my mind. And as long as, you know, as long as this summer puts right some of the wrongs for last season, I'll be happy enough again. And, you know, 95 million spent, it'll be more than that, won't it? When you factor in agents, fees, wages, contracts, you know, that's, that's what we're led to believe is, is the bare minimum fees for McAllister and Sobberschlei. So I think there'll be, there'll be more signings, there'll be more faces and there'll be more rectifying what, what needed to be done. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I mean, just to give my two cents on the whole FSG thing, and I, and I, and I think now, to me, this is the, the minimum they can do this summer, and, and they've got those two players in. But what they do next will sort of show whether they've got the ambition, because I, because I, I look at it and think they're having to sign players this summer to make up for mistakes the past. So, you know, that the, technically they should never have had to buy three midfielders this summer, perhaps two, perhaps even one, if they've done the, the right work uh, previously. But they also need to make sure they don't make mistakes this summer for summers to come. So I think a centre-back is pretty necessary because I think if they leave that, then we could see injuries to Matip next season, perhaps to Van Dijk um, or loss of form. And we, we can see Liverpool suffer there. So, you know, I think they've done two really good deals. Um, you know, they've not really, in terms of uh, free transfers, of course, they've had big outgoings and they've got big wages off the, of the wage bill. And I think that, People don't take wages into account enough. Um, you know, some of the big wages that have come off Liverpool had a very, very high wage bill. One of the, the highest, if not at times, the highest in the Premier League. Um, some of those big wages have come off. That should free up some, some cash now. Um, but they've made those two deals. I think if we see them go and make further deals, uh, that would make a really impressive summer because, um, you know, if they can get another midfielder, that, that really has that department looking really strong. Obviously, we're getting Gakpo at Christmas. I think that the the, the um, forward line looks pretty strong going into next season. Maybe next summer they'd need more forward, but for now, they can get through and then another centre-back. Um, and perhaps in January, you look at whether you need a right-back, whether the, the backup for Trent is adequate. And um, maybe a left-back, depending on what Simicast does. But what do you think, Tom? Is, is, the, is this a show of ambition? Is this just what was needed? Where, where, where do you sit on this debate? Um I think it was just what was needed, really. Like you mm -hmm. said, they haven't signed a midfielder the last two summers now. And yeah, I think like Sean was saying, Klopp was asked about it last summer and was quite got quite defensive about mm -hmm. it. He was sort of saying, you know, we've got Elliot, we've got Jones, we've got all these other players. Why? I think he was actually saying, you know, tell me who, who we should sign, that kind of thing. And, you know, got quite angry about it. But, you know, if you look back at that now, that interview, <laughs> it, it does look a bit... You know, it, what gave the game away about that though is that they were actively trying to sign yeah. the midfielder in too many. So it, it's not as if Klopp was was close to the idea of another midfielder. Maybe he was doing a bit of a you know a public display of backing for mm. his for his players, which is understandable for a manager. But I think you you know Liverpool should not have to spend 120 140 million on midfielders this summer. The reason they're doing so is because they're on the state. Yeah, I think. Um... Klopp had a point in, in the sense that 
they probably did have enough players in that position, but you can't, you couldn't rely on people like Cater and yeah. Thiago because they don't stay fit. So, you know, and once everyone got injured at the same time, that's when it became a problem. So it was only really a problem because of all the injuries. And if they hadn't had all of those injuries at the same time, then they would have got away with it probably, probably wouldn't have seen all the problems that we saw. You know, we saw James Milner playing a lot more than he probably would have played if there wasn't all the injuries there. You know, so he got a lot of stick as well. And so like, why are you playing Milner so much? He shouldn't be starting. But everyone seems to figure that was only happening because there was no one yeah. else to play there. So I think it just it couldn't have gone more wrong for them if it had tried last summer just because of the way it went with the you know key players being out at the same time. So I think they're just probably looking at it now and gone, you know, we can't really afford for that to happen again. And factor in you've lost three midfielders this summer, the three that have left as a free agent. So if you if you're automatically losing those three, I think they had to sign at least two just to make up yeah, for those yeah. that have gone. So if they get one more in, it's three out, three in. And it's a pretty big upgrade on yeah. the three that have gone. And Milner aside, I still I still think I would have probably kept him, but I think that was more of a decision from the you know out of Klopp's hands from yeah. sounds of it. Money money wise, perhaps. Yeah. So, Tom, staying with you, how do you see do you, is this you know the, the 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 formation that they play with Trent moving into midfield? Do you think this now underlines that is the way they're gonna go this season with Sobar Squire taking up the right hand side that what Sean mentioned before, Jordan Henderson role, perhaps the Callister coming into that role we've seen Curtis Jones play. Yeah, it probably makes the most sense to stick mm-hmm. to that really. I mean I would be surprised now if Liverpool just switched it suddenly and went back to a four three three or something else because that was what was giving them all the joy at the end of the season. You know, teams have probably maybe worked them out a little bit. So Klopp was kind of forced to make a change with that new system. So, I mean, everything kind of suggests that's what he would be lining up with next season. Um, You know, it got the breast out of Trent. So I think it would make sense if they carried on with it, to be honest. Is is there a slight worry, Sean, though, with that formation? And perhaps the players they've signed give them the options to play like that or in a 4-3-3 or perhaps in different formations further than that. But there's a slight worry with that, that perhaps people will work that out pretty quickly and, and find space to exploit behind Trent. I, I don't think so. You know, I'm, I'm, I think that these signings give the game away that he's, that he's all in on that because, yeah. you know, they're, they're not traditional right and left side of midfielders in a Jurgen Klopp 4-3-3, are they? They're not, they're not grafters. Well, I think they are grafters, but there's, there's, there's extra elements on top of that. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, they both come with the profile of, of well, certainly compared to, you know, a Wijnaldum, a Henderson, a Milner, they're, they're goal-scoring midfielders. And yeah, ones yeah. who have technical abilities, I would say, that outweigh the ones we've seen at, at the heart of Liverpool teams in midfield. So I, I think he's he's absolutely gunning for that now. I think, you know, there will be times, as you say, when for sure that they'll they'll go back into the traditional 4-3-3, you know, within games and from the start of games. I mean, to be honest, if, if Trent is rested, which he'll have to be at times and, you know, there'll be some games where he'll miss through injury, suspension, whatever. I, I don't really see who replaces him. And I, I think that's the one limitation of this system. But the, the key difference I see from how it was at the end of last season when, you know, the, clearly there were elements to work on and what it could be for the first game of this season is all of the positions around Trent, or certainly mm-hmm. the two advanced midfielders, you know, the two attacking number eights or number tens, whatever you want to call them, as as well as Jones did at the back end of the campaign, I think if that's McAllister and that's Sobersly, 
ahead, instead of Jones and Henderson. That's a huge upgrade as to what you're capable of, the level of pressure you can apply on the opposition. You know, just that balls for, for Trent to, to to hit hit them with between the lines yeah. to their feet. That you know, don't get me wrong, Jones is a very capable player in, in that respect. You know, he was a good out ball last season in, in that formation, but I just think these guys could potentially be a level above. So yeah, I th- I think he's I think he's totally committing to it. And I think the really interesting thing now is the profile of number six that they look for long term because you know yeah. I, I think with, with the two the two main names that have been linked, I think they offer something different. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to the next transfer, which hopefully is is in this window. You know, hopefully it is a, a Chiram or a, or a Lavia, and that will really give us a clue on you know what the next step is for that formation. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll talk to Ram Lavia shortly. I had a couple of texts from, from friends and, and a couple of people on Twitter saying what happens now with, with Jones, Elliot. But, but, you know, the way I see it now is that they just give you really good options. And I, and I think that both those players sort of show perhaps Liverpool's thinking in the sense that Jones played in that advanced position. He could technically could, could get goals. He, he got a couple, didn't he, at Leicester? Mm-hmm. Um, McAllister, like Sean's just mentioned, is a bit of an upgrade on that. But Jones can come in and do a job. Um, Elliot, the same, really, playing on the right-hand side at times, again, can get goals. But again, you'd expect Sebastian to be an upgrade on that, perhaps get more goals. And I, and I think for those two young players, this is good news. It's not bad news. Because for Elliot, he played far too often last season. And I think it exposed certain limitations at times. I think he looked worn out at times. And I think with Elliot, he could do with just being managed a bit more, like we saw City do with Foden at times. Um, and Jones obviously has had his injury problems. It, it was a campaign of, I wouldn't say two halves, it was like two thirds and one third, wasn't it, last year, with, with some really bad injuries towards the front end of the campaign. And then finally, him coming into the team and probably playing, well, not probably, definitely playing his best football for Liverpool in the last 11 games. And Jones will want to build on that. But again, for someone with a bad injury record, you don't want to push him too hard. So, I think it's great that they will have the option of, of rotating in and out the side and, and Liverpool will have horses for courses, if you like, or, or just, you know, opposition at home. You can perhaps bring some of those young players in. So I think it's really exciting for them. And I'm really, really interested to see how Liverpool line up on the opening day of the season. Um, hopefully with a couple more options as well. But, you know, I don't know whether both of those new lads will go straight in, but I think certainly one of them will. And, um Maybe McAllister because he's played the Premier League, but it's really exciting. Okay, we'll talk to the others. Um, we'll start. We'll start with Tram. Tom, he got knocked out yesterday of the um, of the Euros, so technically Liverpool can now sort of pursue that if they want. But, yeah. But perhaps it didn't go the way things were planned for him. They got beat, didn't they, France? And he got an absolute <laughs> from the French media who. Um, yeah, they, they thought he was um, mad. Can I, can I swear? I can swear a French guy, because surely that, that doesn't leave us out of, um, of... Well, I don't know. If we're not in Qatar anymore, I'm sorry. Um, of, of the Middle East, but yeah, I didn't, didn't know whether they take French swear words as well. But there you go. They they didn't think he was very good anyway. Bit of a blow for him, Tom. I mean, are you still all in on him as, as perhaps Liverpool's next one? Um, I wouldn't say all in. I mean, he's looked good... For- from what I've seen of him, but I'm not sure he's someone that you know Liverpool have to sign. You know, I, I don't think if they missed out on him, I don't think it would be the end of the world. Um, 
you know, I think he's a player that people are getting quite excited about and want to see at Liverpool. But I think Lavia would be equally good option for Liverpool. Yeah. He's got Premier League experience, albeit just last season. But I think he's. I would be happy with either of those two. I think I'd actually probably lean more towards Lavia just because, um, like I said, he's got he's played in the Premier League. He's got a little bit of experience of that already. Um, with Taram, you know, it's a bit of a not an unknown, but it's a bit more of a risk, I guess, in terms of how he'll adapt to the league. Yeah. You know, we see some players come come to the Premier League, they just hit the ground running straight away. Others doesn't quite happen. Um, you know, it could take one or two seasons to get up to speed. So, if Liverpool really want like, this midfield, you know, new midfield to take shape immediately, you'd probably want Lavia, someone who could already be ready to do that role. Yeah. I'm not sure if Taram would necessarily ready for it straight away and you know Klopp likes to bed players in gradually as we've seen in the past he doesn't sort of just throw them in but I guess you'd have more scope to do that with Lavia than Taram so I think I would probably go for Lavia to be honest I've got to be honest I would probably go with Taram um but I could base all of that on that the worst pass on the final (laughs) day of the season which um you know is a small small bit of data to work on but it was one bad pass but but it the way i say it is that you're buying nice's big fish and okay you take them into a much bigger pond at liverpool but but as we've seen with sabosli and, and McAllister, then they come in with a bit of ego and they back themselves a little bit whereas i wonder with the lavia with limited experience at the highest level whether it would be difficult for him but i think i suppose the good part thing about this position is that this is the one of the three midfielders that they sign where I feel like they've got more time to bed anyone in because I think Fabinho will certainly start the season there. They will have Trent alongside him and and whoever they sign can come in. They can play several games. They can play in the Europa League. They can get used to the way Liverpool play. And as we saw with Fabinho in that position, it might be the one position where they need a bit more time to get used to the way Liverpool play. I also think on the flip side of this, that there's a chance and a not saying that they definitely will, but there's a small chance Liverpool could also say it's the one position we don't need to sign this year and try and push that over the next year. I hope they don't do that. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. But um Sean, is, is Romeo the type of guy you want to be with? Yeah, I think that might go over over young Tom's head. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. I'm onto that. Yeah. Yeah. 21 seconds and all that. Lovely, yeah. lovely. Um, I, I can't even remember the question now. I was just... It's good, that, wasn't it? It was yeah, yeah. Well, no. Is he the type of guy you want to be with? Oh, yeah. Well, well, I, I think whether he's the type of guy Liverpool want to be with, it all depends on what the long-term plan is for that number six role in, in this new system. You know, let's say, which I believe they are, that Liverpool are committing to this new system. I actually think, and, you know, this is not going off extensively. I haven't watched them. I can't claim to have done that. But look, looking at the numbers and and the, the kind of profiles of these two players, I think they're quite different or, or they're potentially quite different. So if you want someone who blocks, intercepts, tackles, um, albeit he's, he's a little bit better seemingly at taking players on than Fabinho, I think you'd go for Lavia. And, and you know, you both make interesting points about him probably being a little bit more Premier League ready, you know, despite the fact that he is younger, you know, he's played, he played 29 games in the Premier League last season. So that's, that's almost three times as many top flight English games that, as... Setic has played, for example. So, you know, it's a good 
it's a good good spread of games for him. So I, I, I think he's your option if you want a number six who is more of a traditional number six. But where Chiram really interests me, I think if you look at Klopp and Guardiola and a lot of just top-level managers really over the last 10, 15 years, one hallmark of them is every time they try and adapt their team or like change what it's trying to do tactically, the question they seem to ask themselves is, how can I get one more attacker on the pitch? You know, you, you think yeah. about what Pep's doing right now. I think Pep's clearly won the latest round of who's going to innovate tactically, you know, the, the, the best, the most effectively. You know, the the, the box midfield, the, the hybrid fullback thing, or, or hybrid centre-half, if you if you want to say, with, with whatever he's done with John Stones, basically, has, has worked yeah. and has been great. Liverpool are following up on that now. Obviously, Klopp's done it, hasn't he, in terms of having two full-backs who are effectively wingers, you know, Liverpool mm-hmm. playing... Three, two, five, whatever, whatever you want to call that, you know, at Liverpool's pomp under Klopp, you know that that was interesting. But Chiram, I I wonder whether, I mean, he's a player clearly who can play in a lot of positions. He's versatile, which which has been something that very much Liverpool seem to be targeting, doesn't it? If you look at McAllister, you look at Sobersly, it's players who can play a variety of midfield roles. I think Chiram would bring you that. But I really like the idea of him as a number six who can be progressive on the ball, you know, as well as a solid defensive shield. And I think Chiram's 6'4", and Lavia's 5'11". And that, as well, I just think this Liverpool team could do with a bit more bulk, a bit more height, yeah. a bit yeah. more physicality. So, in, in that respect, I think I'd, I'd be with you, Joe. I'd, I'd lean to or towards Chiram slightly. I mean, I'd, I'd be greedy and say I'd love them both in, in a long-term sense if, you know, at some point maybe, certainly not this, this season, but in a year, 18 months, you're... You're thinking has Fabinho run his race? I think you'd have two excellent options here, you know. But but let's not forget there's Bessetich as well, isn't it? And mm-hmm. you know we talked about Henderson a little bit so far, and I think that is the that's the the, the bank of midfield he'll be in next season. This season uh, for me, like I don't think we'll see much of Henderson in in the two attacking roles in this box midfield. I think he'll be he'll be dropped back into the other ones. Like I, I might be totally wrong on that, but the run he had in the team as that right sided attacking midfielder. I think that was just because he was the captain. He had to be on the pitch. He was, you know, he, he could he can absorb tactical instructions. He can tell others what to do. But surely, as as he continues to age, and especially given the two players who've been signed, I think we'll see him more in one of the defensive roles. So you've got a lot of options there. But yeah, I, I would lean towards Chiram, but but greedy in a greedy long term sense. I think it'd be great to have them both because I do see them as quite different players. You, you make an interesting point about Henderson. I I, I think you're right, but I but I think with Henderson you might see him become a bit more of the James Milner going forward and I don't think he'll play right back left back but but I think in midfield he will be asked to play in all of those different roles um, mm-hmm. and use his experience at times when they need him and slot him where needed and he won't be an automatic starter of course but but at least with Henderson you have that flexibility and, and he takes on that role in the squad you know the, the bit of the old head um, so so that that'll be interesting like you I think I think Saram I think both of those players offer slightly different things, don't they? Taram offers the, the evolution of, of that position, whereas Lavia, and, and it, it might be that Liverpool want to see how it all works, but perhaps Lavia is is just freshening up, freshening up for being, you know. But it, there's another element, Tom, um, and you are learning a language, and, and I'm not going to ask you to answer this in <laughs> Spanish, but I, I do think this is something that perhaps people don't take into account. But what I found was really interesting is Sebastian like, can speak perfect English. Um, in his interviews, you can see him very confident. Obviously, McAllister has been in England um, for a couple of years and seems to speak English. And, and having read about Liverpool's slight issues with um, getting Darwin Nunes 
up to the right level English-wise. Cater, of course, was a player who, who, by all accounts, didn't speak the best English when he was at Liverpool. Do you think that that's, these are little fine details that the clubs look at because it makes things far easier on the pitch to communicate, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and it's hard learning a language. It as, is, as you well yeah, know. it is. Yeah. May, may be something they take into account, but I'm not sure. It's not going well, to be the, the, yeah. the, 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 the deal breaker. Yeah. But, but, but don't you think that, I mean, all right, if, it, if, if a, a talented as Darwin Nunes, I'm sure Liverpool put that to one side, but they need English speakers in the squad, especially when you're losing. So, but you say that, Firmino didn't really speak much English and he, you know, was one of the best, uh, most intelligent players in the team. So I often used to think that that was, um, Firmino I used to say he didn't speak some English, but I think uh, he can maybe speak more than he was letting on. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't think it's as big of a, an issue as you know people make it to be i think the players you know they have the little groups which they'll speak you know with people who are from their country there's always a way around it like they, they only need certain words in certain moments if they're learning the language as well so i think that's something they would work around if it was a problem all right big man say that again <laughs> the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo Sean, is that is that just me with a theory, or you're not on board with that? What just in terms of how important it is in training I, I, behind the scenes? I think it's really interesting that they've signed two players that that one who's been in, the, in in England for a couple of years, and you know I think McAllister can speak the language, but but certainly suppose like could. Um, obviously, there've been recent issues with with Darwin Nunes getting him up to speed in English, and something Klopp actually mentioned in press conferences that they can't take instruction as well. Cater obviously had issues. I don't know whether anyone read James Pierce's piece on the Athletic about him, but very interesting. And um, yes, he likes eggs. But but the, these are things that I do think, I think that the high-level football clubs look at every detail. And I, and I think there, there are certain things that perhaps Liverpool would have had their, I wouldn't say fingers burned because that's a bit much, but will have learned lessons of other signings and therefore wanted to, to make sure that they get in each signing. Do you not do you not think that's true? No, I, I, I think I think you might well be right there. I think there's you know it's difficult with Nunes in because you in no sense do we want to write him off um at, at this point. But I, I agree with you that it's telling that Klopp's come out and said that. I mean, you know, it's obviously at the very least it's a bit of a kick up the backside for him, isn't it? But mm-hmm. Klopp's not really a manager over his tenure at Liverpool who's come out and publicly criticised players that much I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought I can't really remember too many occasions so you know okay part part of it is almost he's trying to give a new signing more time but it, the tone of it does suggest you know not not regret but just that he's got work to do off the pitch like mm-hmm. al- almost certainly but I think going back to what you guys said before about Milner and the fact that Klopp wanted him but it was a deal that was taken out of his hands seemingly you know that's how that's how it read when all the quotes came out when Milner left from what what player manager and, and everyone said about it I think there's been a bit of a return and you can't necessarily put this on one man you know Mike Gordon coming back into the into the kind of picture behind the scenes it, it does feel like some more grown-up decisions kind of sensible long-term decisions like proper Liverpool decisions are being made behind the scenes and that's not digging anyone out individually I think it's it's just been difficult, hasn't it? You know, like in, plans have gone to the wall for various reasons. And as you guys referenced, you break last season into thirds and the first third of it, even starting in the summer with Jota and Diaz and others, 
it, you know, in, injury was the story. And like, you know, the best laid plans in the summer, even though I don't think they were laid very well in the summer, it could couldn't come to fruition. But yeah, I, I agree. I think I think you're right. That you know, recruitment and language is is a massive deal. But I think there's other there's other hints and other elements that suggest just things are being done in a more sensible, long term and, and thoughtful way this summer. Cool. Well, we'll finish off uh, with a quick chat about Stephen Gerrard. Tom, um, he's on the verge of a move to Saudi Arabia by the looks of things. Um, he had said a couple of weeks back, a couple of weeks back, has it been that, yeah. that move time? moves quickly, doesn't it? Um, a couple of weeks back, he had said that that deal didn't look like it was on the cards. Um, James Pearson in the Athletic report that that's changed. He's set to U-turn and, and join the Saudi Pro League. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, disappointment at all or it's a bit of a strange move yeah i mean it's strange enough to see all these all the players going there i mean you know, we know why they're going but it's a bit disappointing to see so many players going there because it's not you know as much as ronaldo wants to big it up as this major league that's mm-hmm. gonna have the best players in it and it's, it's gonna be one of the top five leagues i don't think it's gonna ever reach that point as you know the, the amount of players they can bring in I don't ever see it getting to that. So I do wonder why he's going there. I mean, I know it's an opportunity to get back into management, but the level he's going to be managing at, it's not exactly a standard yeah. to be tested at. It's, you know, he's, although there are some good players that are going there, you know, we've seen Kante, Neves, yeah. Benzema, these kind of players going there. Mane, other players now being linked. I just don't think it's somewhere that he's really going to get a great learning experience. That's it. It's, it's a, End of your career, yeah. Place not, and and I know for Gerard, it's the start of his managerial yeah. career. Surely, are you disappointed at all to see Stephen Gerard go there? It's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I think what he's got on his side is his age. I mean, he's only forty-three, so you know, as much as it felt like he had really good grounding at Liverpool and then really kicked on at Rangers and did did very well, I think you know it, it was always difficult to kind of estimate how much. A good spell in Scottish football would translate elsewhere, especially when you know you go to one of the two big clubs and you do well at them. It's always going to be one of those at the top, isn't it? But I think he was on a bit of an upward curve then. But I, I'd say he's got time on his side. So you know, like you say, this will this will be a mega books deal. And if he's there for two seasons, okay, it effectively puts his career development on pause. I'd argue because even if like he fills his squad now with you know 29, 30, 31 year olds who are coming over for like one last big payday but they are talented players you know well, that's the thing isn't it? it does look like some kind of elite level players are going over there to play so I, i'm sure he'll have a decent squad that is disposable which will be good for him as a manager won't it you know he'll be developing and working with good talent but i still think you know let's say he does well there for two seasons and manages well and, and wins the league I, I wouldn't see a premier league team taking a punt on him off the back of that i think he'll still have to come back and drop down to the championship or maybe go to Germany, Dutch league, something like that. Try something a little bit different, you know. As as we discussed on previous pods, so I think it just puts him on pause. But can you really blame him for going and doing it? You know, not not really. You know, he's he's only forty three. He can he could sacrifice a couple of years there and go and do that, no problem. And and if it didn't work out and he didn't fancy management, he's given it a good crack, hasn't he? He can come back and and do punditry and rest yeah. safe in the knowledge that, he, that he's done better than Gary Neville did at Valencia or however he wants to justify it. So I don't know. I think I think given his age, it's a bit of a free hit. I'm interested to see what he does after Saudi Arabia because I, I wonder whether the grand ambition for his managerial career remains or whether it is a chance to go and get a good payday. And look, 
you know, I, I think you don't want to be disappointed in your heroes, but but ultimately, I think money does talk, and and I think it's really easy to say and say, oh, why is he why is he going to take the money? But the amount of money that's being thrown around is just mind-boggling stuff. So I I, I just think that that does talk. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether he continues with his. You know, he, he is willing, like Sean says, to go and drop down to the championship, or whether it's a case of a couple of years out there, come back and, and sort of get back in the studio and be a pundit. So, yeah, um, didn't expect that though. I thought he, he might have gone to the championship, but maybe maybe he just hasn't smoked another another offer out and he thinks that this is the best one out there. So, good luck to him wherever he goes. We'll leave it there on Saturday. The players return to training. Um, the step up preparations for 23 24. We'll be back on Friday for another Bloodbird podcast. And it feels like things are getting serious. See you then. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.